When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Railston. I am your host today. In a weekend of brilliant sport from the Grand National to the Masters, it was a Saturday when Manchester United disappointed yet again with a horrendous performance at Goodison Park against Everton, losing 1-0. And I'm sure my colleagues today have got plenty to say and not too many good things either, unfortunately. Samuel, how are you today? Not bad, thank you, Stephen. As you say, it was... Um... <clears throat> It was a it was a pretty good week of sport, and the 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 chore the dross was uh, boxed off pretty early on Saturday. So I was able to enjoy the national, watch the golf, uh, watch watch the city game as as well yesterday. So in in the end, it it wasn't bad, and as I said, the the dross was out of the way very early on. Got it away, didn't we? Nice and early, like you say. And Ty, we were just chatting and joking before we went on air. It was the only positive of the food in the press box was it on Saturday afternoon? Pretty much, yeah. It was it's always a pretty good uh, a pretty good feed at Everton. So um, yeah, that was uh, that was reasonable. The um, the I mean, without wanting to turn this into a aren't we privileged press? The, the seating at um, at Goodison Park is, is is pretty grim, whether you're press or fan or wherever you are. And the sooner they um, the grand old stadium, but the sooner they knock it down and move to somewhere fit for the uh, the twenty first century would be great. Twenty second century. I seem to remember the ground actually shakes when, when goals go in at Goodison Park, but I guess that's part of the yeah. charm, isn't it? <clears throat> Samuel, we'll just get straight into it. The manner of the performance against the opposition, relegation threatened, have been truly awful all season. So what were your takeaways from it when you left the stadium on Saturday afternoon? Uh, as I said, the, the word chore springs to mind. Uh, it, was, it was just boring. Uh, they meandered to defeat. I was, I was able to get my, my piece done quite quite early um, as far as the time of the game was concerned, like pretty much for, for the whistle. I just reflected some of the things that I saw at full time as well, just some added colour. But I, I was quite confident writing in early in the second half my my intro um, because I, I just did have, I didn't have any faith that United were going to get anything out of that game. And even if they got a draw, even if they'd scored two goals in the last five minutes i don't think it would have essentially changed anything it would have given the supporters a a great finale but there was never any danger of that happening um just everything about the club at the moment is is a disaster um we, we were even watching the substitutes warming up on saturday and you might as well they might as well have been warming up on a sand pit because they did about as much um excursions as people who who are on holiday do and it's, it's not a stretch to imagine that. Um, I, I wrote this morning that in terms of the truly committed players at United, I don't think it breaks double figures. Even Jaden Sancho, um, I can't quite work him out. He's, he's the, I mean, he's the least of their problems, but he came back after a break doing well. He has another break. He comes back and he, he regresses. He's dreadful again. And the fact that he didn't actually do anything about Richarlison almost acting like a, a performing seal balancing the ball in his head uh, 
was it was just anathema to, to to at least Harry Maguire, who actually said to him like, "What the hell? Are you, pretty much, what the hell are you doing? Be a bit more aggressive." And Rangnick said on Friday how aggressive they'd been in training, and the way he said it, it was almost as if that was that was um, an exception to the norm when it should it shouldn't be. You should be um, you know intense in every training session or most training sessions, and then of course come match day, inevitably the aggression is absolutely uh, non-existent and just, you know, walking away from the ground with, with Ty walking across Stanley Park. I mean, that was probably the highlight because the stand of the game was, was absolutely dreadful. Just it quite easily, quite easily with this United side. Uh, just so many of them uh, have, have just mentally checked out at the club. They don't want to be there. That's been the case for a while. And it's sometimes it's difficult to to think of new things to to say about them but essentially that game at the weekend i think what made it worse in some ways probably work in some ways worse than that 4-0 defeat at everton a few years ago was that um the everton fans were looking to pick a fight dominic calvert lewin who obviously has not endeared himself um with all these fashion shoots he's he seems to have gone very much out out of fashion at everton um, they were they were reaching to get on his back. Michael Keane uh, was another one, uh, and I think maybe seconds before the goal, even I think Allen lost the ball, and that hurts them as well. And when the goal goes in on, like, before half an hour, that's it. That was the contest pretty much sewn up. And Goodison can be loud, but it was not that loud on on Saturday. And it's just the fact that again. Uh, a crowd unnerves United and Rangnick said afterwards about the level of expectation, how the players struggled with it. And you think this is a team that's relegation fodder. It's the worst Everton team in 20 years. I mean, it legitimately is. And they haven't got it in them to come from one nil down with more than an hour left in the game. Just that there have to be big changes in the summer. They, they can't just have this, um, they can't operate by this uh, these protocols that they've had in place for years where it might be, oh, one, one can go out if we can get one in and all this nonsense. They, they have got to just be very decisive in ending some Manchester United careers because these players, a lot of them, do not want to play for Manchester United anymore. So what the hell is the point? And essentially, Everton only won that game on Saturday because they had more committed players. It was completely apt that the game was decided because it was such a bad game. It was decided by a deflected goal that was scored by a scouser because Anthony Gordon, however limited he might be, he's a pretty good player for his age and he epitomises everything Evertonians want from from their players. Ty, when the chips are down, you've got to work hard. It's a cliche, but you've got to roll your sleeves up and you've got to get everything for the shirt and the badge. And on Saturday, that just didn't happen. <clears throat> Pardon me. And obviously, after the game, the has comments, he talked about Everton having a bit more desire and a bit more fight. And that was clear for us all to see. Surely, though, that is just quite unforgivable, isn't it? And it's quite revealing of kind of the mentality in that dressing room at this moment. Yeah, it is. And I think it's revealing of the dressing room as a whole. As much as they'll take to social media to try and shoot down every, every well-sourced story, they, they do not like each other. No one can tell me those players like each other and are playing for each other. Not a chance. They're just, no one is having fun on that pitch. No one is playing with a smile. All they do is argue with each other. I, I did a piece today on De Gea's comments. And I mean, they, his comments will be applauded by fans and rightly so. We appreciate them for the honesty of them. But there's no way, even after a poor performance in a United dressing room where everyone's getting along and... Everyone's taking the highs together, the lows together. There's no way a player's coming out and calling his team a disgrace and basically pinning it on the forwards if, if it's a United dressing room. It's not. And 
I mean, Ranić said they were aggressive in training. Maybe they're aggressive because they don't like each other, because that is how they play and that is how it looks. And there is just no spirit in that team at all. There is no unity. There hasn't been for months on end. I, I remember the first time it sort of really dawned on me was that Newcastle game where they drew 1-1 um, over Christmas and they just looked like they didn't like each other. They looked like they didn't they didn't particularly care for each other. They didn't have any spirit, any unity. And it looks like it's only got worse. And they can go on social media as much as they like and say, oh, yeah, we're all getting along. It's, you know, it's not true, these stories. Well, play like it. Doing that De Gea story today, I went on Getty, which we used for pictures, and looked at Man United Everton pictures. And one of the first ones I saw was Fred and Fernandez arguing with each other. And I thought, well, that just sums it up. And you could probably find hundreds of pictures this season of United players arguing with each other on the pitch. And that just sums them up. They are There is no spirit there. There is no unity there. And as good as De Gea's interview was, he wouldn't be saying those things if he was getting on with all of his teammates and if he felt all his teammates were pulling in the right direction. And it was just, it was remarkable how easily predictable that game was. Talking to people in the press room before, and I think everyone said, whoever scores first, that is game over, basically. It's the two most underperforming teams in the league, both struggling to meet the very, very minimum objectives. Everton struggling to stay up when they should have been comfortable in mid-table. United researching Europa League conference destinations, two feeble, mentally weak teams. And as soon as one conceded, they were going to fold. And it was United that folded. And they actually, for 25 minutes, thought they played all right. I mean, I know Ranić said they, they weren't aggressive enough in that time. And they were still the better team for 25 minutes. They could have scored. Maybe Rashford should have scored, although he was probably United's best player on the day. And for 25 minutes, you thought they might win here, especially because, like Samuel says, it was not far off toxic at nil-nil. Every time Calvert-Lewin was out-jumped, they were furious. Every time Allen gave the ball away, and it was just howling in anger. And it is no Premier League ground has fans that turn on their team as quickly as at, as at Goodison. They're looking for an excuse constantly. The club anthem is boo. And you could tell they just wanted they just wanted to turn on them. And that goal stopped it from happening, really. And, and afterwards, Lampard praising the fans and saying how great they were. That was not the case at nil-nil. That was there for the taking for United. And it's damning that they, they never played as well again in that game after that first 25 minutes. When they conceded, the heads went and they just they just tossed it off, basically. And you just watch them. And I can't remember the last time I saw a United player smile on a pitch, looking like he was having fun. I think BT showed quite a large part of the warm-up when they were talking about United pre-match and no one looked like they were enjoying it. Samuel mentioned the, the warm-up there, the rondos. I mean, Pogba was enjoying it, but he was enjoying it by making absolutely no effort in the middle. You watch Liverpool or City do those rondos, even if it's the subs, and it's a mix of intensity and fun. Everyone's having a laugh doing them, but they're done at 100 miles an hour. They're getting something out of them. No one was getting anything out of those rondos pre-match on Saturday. It was an absolute joke. They're just completely pointless. And the, the effort Pogba put in in the middle was just ridiculous. How are we still getting games? And someone like Jesse Lingard isn't, is completely, completely beyond me, but... Just it sums up this club. It's enthralled to its superstars, no matter what they do, and just it's just a broken football club, isn't it? Samuel, I want to ask you about a moment, particularly in that game, that Ty's just kind of touched upon, and I've noticed you've both kind of brought some attention to it during the game on the live blog. Um, obviously, before Everton scored, I would say Rashford probably was the best player for United on the pitch, as Ty's just said. He looked lively. He was trying to make things happen. He had those big moments when Pickford made the saves. Were you surprised that Ranić asked Sancho to go back to the other side? And how surprised were you when he hauled Rashford off later in the game for Anthony Alanga? Uh, Rashford's removal was was genuinely uh, genuinely surprising. He's 
it was probably as a starter one of the most accomplished uh, performances he's had in, in, in a long time in that he was literally United's only goal threat. He was bright. He was starting on the left. And I don't think it's a coincidence that he was performing given that he was back in his favoured role. And of course, Sancho was starting on the right and he was he was poor, he was ineffectual. And this is an entirely another this is just another problem that just sums up the club. They've spent seventy two point nine million pounds on another winger who, guess what, likes to play from the left. When 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 they were first like first properly trying to sign him in twenty twenty, that the club even said he was their the right wing was a priority, which was you know why they were going for Sancho. And then when they signed him, he they dropped the the word right from it, and they were saying about how they wanted a winger, and because he played a lot from the left for Dortmund last season. But clearly, nobody at the club thought, well, if he likes playing there, and we've got all these players here already, shouldn't we actually look for? For, for someone who just plays uh, week in, week out from, from the right. And so that's another problem they've got because the, the attack is still lopsided. It's, you know, the, the problems on the right um, have, have not been addressed this season. Uh, and it's obviously well known that, that there are other options there that are unavailable at this, at this present time. So when Rangnick talks about the need for a striker in the summer, I think everybody understands that. But they also need a forward who who can play on that side and play play there regularly, because I don't see Sancho as the solution there. I certainly don't think Anthony Alanga is either, and he's another player who's come through into the squad who's right footed and is is better operating off the left. So they've got four of those players, including Marshall. Um, who it wasn't wasn't a surprise to see. It seems like Sevilla got better after he went off at the weekend in their game that they won. And you know, I, I suppose Rangnick thought, well, Sancho's not doing much, so I'll bring him over here, so he might you know be more comfortable and be more effective. But of course, in doing that, you're gonna you're gonna annoy the other player who is doing well and then he's moved out of position. And it's just logical, given that he's the he's he's been your goal threat, and then he's been he's moved to an area where he, he very very rarely has has any impact. And it, it was slightly telling as well that when Rashford was taken off, it was it was more by virtue of where he came off the pitch. He he came off by the, the corner flag um, down down you know on our side of the pitch, and he had no intention of like acknowledging Rash, uh, Rangnick and, you know, shaking his hand or anything. Rangnick made sure he did, because I think he probably thought, well, if I if I don't, somebody might see that and make a thing of it. But you could con- you could entirely understand Rashford's frustration at coming off at that time, because he didn't deserve to come off. And again, Rangnick's substitutions had, had no impact whatsoever, and it's a completely separate issue altogether that there were two goalkeepers on the bench uh, in, in a week where Eric Bai was was visible in training, and and he was he was invisible at, at Goodison Park. Nearly a year on from getting a new contract, he's played seven times for the club this season. He's played more more times for the Cote d'Ivoire this season, which just sums it up. Uh, he wasn't mentioned among the the injured players on on Friday. I don't know why he's still at Man United. Uh, I I don't think he should be at Man United next season, but I fully expect he will be at Man United next season because it's it's Man United. Just that there are absolutely zero positives to take from from the weekend, and there are zero positives to take from United. Full stop at the moment. Yeah, it's a sad state of affairs. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. If that last bit completely, um, and if there is zero positives to take, tie and. Ten Hag will be watching from his home across in the Netherlands and 
God, what must he be thinking? Because if he's the leading candidate for the job and talks of progressing, it's going to be a mammoth challenge, isn't it? And what a some rebuild he's got in his hands if he does get the job. Yeah, absolutely. And the, there is just so much that needs doing. And you can understand, I mean, it's it's baffling that you can even, that someone who is basically, whose who's career CV highlights at the moment, who's managing Ajax, is in a sense dictating terms to United and, and what he wants. But you can understand why, because it's an absolute graveyard for managers and coaches. I mentioned on Friday, you know, United have basically had two managers who've been successful since the war, really. The rest... You know, some have won cups, but in grand terms, that's not a success. It's almost impossible to be successful here at the moment. And he, you can, it just feels like so much needs doing. And he's probably looking at the way they played. He'd have been looking at that game, thinking, right, who's got the character to play for a club like United? And you know, we, we questioned on Friday whether Ten Hag's got the character to manage United. And I think that's probably fair. And you can see the type of character it needs to succeed here. But if he's got a notepad out saying who's got the character to play for this club? Uh, he wouldn't have picked his pen up all afternoon because none of them have. None of them look like they have the character to play for United. He's then probably seeing, you know, the longest serving player lay into his teammates after the game. He must be thinking, God, you know, the, the amount of work that needs doing here is frightening. And there is no way, no way they're getting close to winning the league while Klopp and Guardiola are still here. You know, any United fans who tuned into that game yesterday, it was like watching a different sport. They're that far ahead. It's just, you know, it's it's daylight and then some more daylight before you get to United compared to those two. The difference in quality is just incredible. And no matter how good Ten Hag is, he's not getting them close to that level. What what he would need to do is basically build a club that is ready to capitalise on Klopp or Guardiola going. But even doing that in the next two years is, is probably big. So you can understand. I mean, it's a, it's a difficult one because... There's the attraction of, you know, whichever manager does win the league for United is going to be a hero. And there's always that attraction of it being such a massive job. But for someone like Ten Hag, his stock is high at the moment. If he comes to United and fails, and you'd have to say, given the record of previous managers, that's more likely probably than him coming here and succeeding. If he comes here and fails, he's not going to get another another top-level job, really, considering he's not, you know, he's not got a CV like Mourinho's for example. So if he came in and did what Mourinho did, if he won a couple of cups and then left under a cloud, he's not got a CV like that to fall back on of, of previous league titles in different countries. So it's a huge risk for his career. And it's, you know, every manager that's been here, it's 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 had a damaging impact on their career. And it's the same with Ranić. And I know there's, I mean, I put this on Twitter after the game and I know I said there's a desire to blame the players, but it's not a desire, it's accurate. The, the players are hugely at fault for this season. It's been shameful. But uh, the appointment of Ranić was basically an experiment. And like most experiments, it's failed. They appointed someone who'd been doing a different job for eight of the last 10 years. Um, you know, he talks he talks a brilliant game. Doesn't talk as good a game now as he did five months ago. Um, but he, he certainly, you know, he was very open, very honest when he first came in. You could tell he had the right ideas. But fundamentally, he, he didn't have to CV to be coaching these players. And we can criticise the players for not taking Ranić on board and maybe for not being convinced by him. But to a degree, I think that's the same in any industry. If, if a manager comes in in your industry and you look at them and think, you've been doing a different job, you're not qualified for this, you're going to take some winning over. And that's just the case. If someone like Conte had come in, the players immediately are like, God, look at what he's done. You know, let's listen to what he's saying. Someone comes in who some of them might not have heard of, understandably, because 
a lot of footballers will will go up, will go home after games and switch off. They're not wondering who's Red Bull's sporting director is, are they? Um, and it's not like you know you'd coach you'd coach one season in a top division in in ten years. They certainly weren't paying attention to Bundesliga two when he was coaching Leipzig there. So a lot of them weren't known who, who he even was. So it's understandable they're going to take some time to be won over and clearly haven't been won over by him. And, you know, we can blame the players for that and the players should take some blame for that. But I don't think it's that surprising. I think you get that in any industry. If a manager who is ill-equipped for the job comes in, you're going to be sceptical about him. And he's won nine of 22 games. He's failed to beat three of the bottom four. It's been it's been terrible. It's been, you know, the performances may be marginally better than Solskjaer, but it has been terrible. There's no beating around the bush. Like I say, he's coached twice in the last 10 years. He'd be lucky to coach again after the way this has gone. He's, he's had very little impact. And yes, the players have to take some of the blame, but that doesn't that doesn't stop Ranić and the people that appointed him from from getting the blame as well. It was a huge risk. I think we all talked it up at the time on the basis of what he said, but there was there was an element of risk there. Like I say, because he'd been doing a different job for eight of the last ten years, and it's failed. But it just shows that this place this place eats eats managers alive. As, as something Ackroyd said to me a couple of weeks ago, and. That's the risk for Ten Hag that he is. If he takes the job, he's basically jumping into a shark pool, isn't he? Samuel, if I take you back to October um, when Solskjaer was sacked and then four weeks later, five weeks later or so, obviously Ranić was appointed towards the, the back end of November. Um, Conte was linked, obviously. And we all talked about it at the time. Uh, United had, obviously, understandable reservations as such. But now we'll look at it and Tottenham are flying. They're fourth in the league and they look almost certain probably to get Champions League football. Was that a huge mistake from United's part not to appoint Conte at that time? It was a mistake. There's, there's no getting away from that. He's, you, I mean, to even compare his managerial record with Rangnick is is an insult to Conte. He's, he's by far and away a better manager. Tottenham had the decisiveness to actually appoint a permanent manager, an elite manager. Uh, they had the decisiveness to actually reinforce the squad in the January window. Kulusevski has been excellent. I think Bentecourt has been a very good signing as well. Um, United didn't because they had a bloated squad and they're, they're useless at selling players, shifting players, and they were useless at that as well in, in January when they were, I mean, Jesse Lingard should have been allowed to go. He should have been sold in the summer. He's still there, just part of the furniture. And I, I completely understand the reservations with Conte. He is confrontational. There's no longevity there. Uh, he's a short-term fix at best. Um, and also from, from the United board's perspective, uh, he would have he would have said how bad they are at their jobs. So that was never going to be appealing. One of the um, most appealing aspects about Ten Hag for this United board is that he would be compliant, really, com- especially compared with with Pochettino. In that Ten Hag, the, the, the most he's ever spent on a player is twenty odd million pounds on Sebastian Haller. He's got five or six Premier League rejects in his squad at Ajax. So he's not really got the clout to say, like like Mourinho would, like you better get me a centre back or I'm going to be throwing you under the bus every week. Um, and also, when when a manager like Mourinho does that, it gets the fans on side and it turns the fans against the board. Not that they needed doing that anyway. But even now, um, despite those cons with Conte, and I, I wrote about it in October. I think in during the October internationals, pretty much why he he was never going to be appointed by United, and then obviously it did escalate, and he was open to it. United weren't, but even now, despite the issues that you would have with Conte, I would take him over Ten Hag. Um, 
he's, he's a better manager than Ten Hag. There's there's still no... I, I get that you need a manager who is suited to the club, but also you need someone who is a winner, who is going to be... has the authority to go into a dressing room and whip a bunch of serial underachievers into shape. If Conte went into that dressing room, it would... Um, it would frighten a lot of United players. It would put a lot of them, but it would also put a lot of them on their on their toes. Because when Rangnick came in, as, as Ty said, a lot of them wouldn't have had a clue who he was. I know for a fact that a lot of them just do not rate him. I also know that a lot of them don't really take his advice on board because they have no respect for his authority because he had no authority in the first place. But as again, I, I you know, just speaking personally, I, I would take Conte over over Ten Hag um, because you have to factor in the, the the manager's clout and character. Ten Hag doesn't really have that. He's a coach on the up, but he's not a young coach, um, and he's he's operating at such a low level at Ajax, where as I said, the standards and the expectation is not particularly high in in the Eredivisie. You know, you're going to lose all your best players. You have to resort to signing Premier League cast-offs to, to keep yourself afloat, to, to keep competitive as well. And it's it's not a coincidence that United are at risk of being humiliated by Tottenham, who, the way things are shaping up, are going to finish fourth and qualify for the Champions League with a manager that United could very easily have appointed in October. Nobody should be feeling any sympathy for United whatsoever. That was their choice at that point. They literally thought Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was a better fit for managing Manchester United than Antonio Conte. That's absolute nonsense. I don't care what culture jargon you come out with. It is just illogical. It's not even illogical. It's just it's factually untrue. And this, when when that happened, when when Tottenham did go for Conte and they reacted pretty swiftly after sacking Nuno Espirito Santo, I think I even wrote it at the time then that. This could blow up in United's face, where they didn't so much miss the boat, they just ignored it as it sailed past them. And lo and behold, it looks like it's going to blow up in their face again. Unless, And, and even if Arsenal were to finish fourth, that's still humiliating because it's Arsenal and that Arsenal squad really shouldn't be finishing above United this season, yet they are above them. Um, I, I know the Conte thing, it's, it's going to go on and on until... Yeah, the end of the season, really, especially if Tottenham finish fourth, it's it's a recurring debate. I, I see both sides of it, but ultimately, I think he'd have he'd have whipped a lot of players into line. I know there were some players that did not relish the prospect of him coming in, um, probably because he'd have been too demanding. But again, that's that's another reason to appoint him, as it's a reason to appoint Ten Hag that there are some players who are unconvinced by him or, or underwhelmed by him. This this player power era at United, it's it's been going on for four years, and look at what look at what look what's happened. Look how disastrous it's been, um, and that's just the failings of a football club that was previously pretty much run uh, by a University of Bristol banker with a with a background in commercial, and now they are run by a University of Bristol banker with a background in, in the commercial side. I've I've absolutely no faith that it's going to get better anytime soon. Yeah, yeah. Dressing rooms had far too much power for far too long, and we all know that, unfortunately. And it's obviously a big clear out needed tie coming the summer. And I was going to ask you kind of what players need to go, but I think you'd be here for a good ten minutes, and that list would be too long. So, judging off that performance when you were there on Saturday, what players stood out to you and thought, do you know what, they're showing a bit of fight, they perhaps want to stay. 
because I think that's an easier question than saying. And, and Samuel's laughing because of that performance, yeah. I can't say, because it was that gutless. But off the season, well, that's probably the same as well. It's been that miserable. But does anyone strike you with that impression that they do actually want to stay there? Yeah, I mean, Fred had the, the good fortune to, to come off injured on, on Saturday, which is a strange thing to say, but he's done reasonably well. Recently, I'm still not sure he's a long-term midfielder for United. I'm just not sure he's got the passing range to do it. I mean, you, you look at that team, and in terms of a title-winning team, Varane, probably, Fernandez, Sancho. Um, beyond that, not really sure. Um, um, Maguire is a, a difficult one to choose. I still think there's a good centre-half in there. Um, he's had a, a shocking season. I think he'd benefit from not having the captains next year. But I think there's, there's bigger issues there. Right back, I mean, the signing of Wamsaka is just an absolute disaster class. Um, you know, 804 right backs and they picked him. I mean, there's 803 that played for England since they signed for him and signed him, I think. Um, it's, you know, it's comical that they can that they can somehow claim that our data is working when they came up and, and picked the fullback who can't, who can't attack for a team that wants to be amongst the elite. Um and it shows that Iranian can't settle on Dallow and Wambasaka. And it's not that's not because both are good, it's because both are bad and neither are good enough for United. And there's clearly an, another right back needed. Um, Shaw has become a bit of an issue. The midfield is a major issue. The right wing is an obvious issue. Centre forward is is going to become an issue. Ronaldo's done pretty well this season. There's, there's still the argument about how he fits into the team. Has he unstable destabilised things? But you know, he scored goals. I think for what United are paying him, you wouldn't really call it a success. I mean, you don't watch him against Everton and think he looks head and shoulders the best player on the pitch. You think he looks fairly average, really. I mean, he had one sight of goal right towards the end and it was a good save from Pickford, but it was pretty much right at him. Um, so you're not you're not seeing a player there who's amongst the best paid players in the world and thinking you can see what he's bringing to this club. But obviously he'll, he'll stay next season, but they're going to need a centre forward. Yeah, I think this, this huge surgery that that is needed there and they probably need five or six players in the first 11 to to really get it close which is a hell of a contrast to the start of the season when I think we all thought they probably had a squad that was or a team that was close to, to being able to challenge for the title you think back to that 4-1 win against Newcastle they didn't play particularly well that day but they had so much firepower so much quality going forward and it just looked like that would be enough to get them at least third and challenging and the way it's fallen apart is is just frightening but there is major surgery that's, that's needed there. And like I say, I come back to my first answer. They need some kind of team spirit and whatever is going on behind closed doors, wherever the issues lie, there are issues. Uh, you know, there's no amount of social media defences from those players that will convince me they are united. And I know people say team spirit comes from winning games. I don't I, I don't see that as a solution for this lot. It looks more fractured than that. They just don't look to be enjoying playing with each other, each other's company. And four or five wins in a row in a winning team, I don't think it's going to make any difference. There's clearly some issues there in that dressing room that Ten Hag would need to fix. You did have Norwich this weekend, Samuel, uh, at home at Old Trafford. God forbid they lose that game, bloody hell. You think, uh, that's, <laughs> God, you don't even want to mute it, do um, But I noticed the 1958 supporters group are trying to organise uh, a rally against the Glazers. Um, we've kind of talked about well the club and the performance on the pitch obviously at the weekend but the problems start from the top we've known that for a while and the club is rotten what would your message be to kind of supporters that are thinking about obviously you know protesting and more really do you think they have the power to change the regime and to change the way the club's direction is going uh, 
going off what they're suggesting on Saturday, no, because they're still filling the Glazers' pockets. The the most effective form of protest, and I know it's very easy for us to say this because we we sit in the press box. Uh, we're not paying punters. We're not season ticket holders. Um, it's it's like we're in our ivory tower looking down on them. It's not not the case at all. But looking at it objectively, the best form of protest um, is to vote with your feet. You saw that with Liverpool fans, I think, just over six years ago when they were at home to Sunderland and on the, I can't remember what minute it was, but they, they all walked out en masse in protest. To, I think it was ticket prices being being raised. And Liverpool were 2-0 up, I think, at the time, and they ended up drawing 2-2. They actually lost lost from a quite an easy winning position against a, a very poor side. And we saw last season uh, with the Liverpool game, by getting that postponed and the way United, in a very panicky way, um, tried to pacify the supporters in the in, in the aftermath of that, that, again, that was an effective form of protest. There were some uh, aspects of it where it got heated and obviously I'm not condoning uh, you know, storming the stadium or anything like that, but it, that was a hell of a victory for United fans getting that game postponed um, in, in the peaceful form. Uh, or the peaceful manner that they went about it at, at the stadium, uh, those supporters who were peaceful, and also at the Lowry Hotel, where they just you know, pretty much stood there and held their ground and didn't let the team coach leave the hotel. Just not being in a stadium for 17 minutes and then going in there, um, I don't think that makes a lot of difference. It's, it's three years ago to the day that... Joel Glazer was last at a United game. Uh, I think it was Barcelona in the Champions League quarterfinal. I, that kind of action is not going to deter him. Um, you know, it's it's been it's been more fervent than than that in the past. Most most of all last season around that Liverpool game when they did get it postponed. But what's been proposed this weekend, I, I just think that's quite. Again, I'm I'm sure some people will take umbrage with what I'm saying about it, but I, I just think that's toothless. I think if you don't turn up whatsoever. That is effective, and and more recently, and more more personally, I suppose from from United point of view, uh, towards the end of Van Gaal's uh, second season, when the season tickets were not selling out, and a lot of people were threatening not to renew if Van Gaal was still in charge because the football had been that bad. I think it was the Crystal Palace midweek match at home. There were swathes of empty seats. And that was a form of protest that clearly unnerved the club. And eventually they, they did sack him. They didn't sack him just because of that. But those empty seats on that evening would not have gone unnoticed. And that's what needs to happen. Old Trafford needs to, like, you know, yes, he had really on, on certain occasions. Um, you know, they've got to swallow their pride. It, it would be a wrench for a lot of match going supporters because. To a lot of them, that's all they've ever known. It's uh, you, you go to the game at the weekend uh, in the midweek, not having that in their lives. Uh, a lot would be very reluctant to give that up. I, I fully understand that. I, there's an emotional side to it that you can't underestimate or downplay. But if they really do want to hurt the Glazers, they have to hit them where it hurts most, and that's their wallets, and that's not to renew. And I'm not convinced either that if a lot of United supporters didn't renew, that their places would be taken by you know, people who effectively aren't proper proper supporters. I, I'm not sure United have that that pull anymore. Look at the weekend. Strikes Ferguson wasn't at Goodison Park, but he was the Etihad to watch City Liverpool. So, and also, I, I think even if somehow those places were taken up, 
by you know casual fans, by um, the non-legacy fans, as the Glazers might view them. Uh, it, it still wouldn't be the same Man United. You still wouldn't have the same support home and away, and that would also take its toll as well. Yeah, completely. I think United the um, Sorry, go on. need to be sustained. They've they've become too sporadic, and I don't think the Glazers really will really care if they're sporadic. I mean, the the, the worst thing to happen in the anti-Glazer movement was the stopping of the the green and gold protests because at least they were visible, but they just sort of subsided too easily. And you you see that too often that there's there's obviously a committed minority who come success or failure want the Glazers out and are willing to do what it takes to to get the Glazers out. But there's a majority, I think, that go to Old Trafford that that aren't that committed to the idea, and that if success comes or good times come, the the minority are finding it difficult to kind of keep the momentum going. And that's what you need. It's not going to be, you're not going to protest between now and the end of the season. The Glazers are going to say in the summer, fair one, yeah, we'll sell up. It's going to take time. It might take two years. You need to stick with it and it needs to carry through and, and find momentum. And that's, that's what seems to have been lacking. The Super League protest last year um, and towards the end of the season, obviously fans were furious about it and it made, it made a big difference. But at the start of this season, there's, there's three big signings come. Fans are back in the stadiums and the majority probably we're happy to, to laud the new signings, watch some, some big early season wins, and it's left to the minority again to try and carry the fight to the Glazers. It just feels like that's the that's the cycle it's in with protests at the moment, that that's what's happening. And, you know, between now and the end of the season, they'll probably protest again. But if Ten Hag comes in next season, we might start the season, and there's a majority who are, who are happy to, to sit on their hands again and let it pass. And it needs, it needs that momentum to be carried through somehow. Yeah. Samuel, I think you've made the point a few times that last season was some deceptive progress, but the kind of difference between the opening day against Leeds when there was a you know, colour and what a performance that was and kind of the mood around the club now, it's, it's dark, isn't it? And it's sad to see this season. Um, guys, thank you for your time. Thank you, Samuel. Thank you very much, Stephen. And thank you, Ty. Cheers. Thank you, Stephen. And thank you to the listeners. Uh, good luck if you're protesting peacefully at the weekend and uh, hopefully United can win a game against Norwich. That'll be nice. Take care.